Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing The Ten Thousand Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow, Every Heart a Doorway by Shauna Maguire, and the 2005 movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Hello and welcome to episode 54, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. I'm Alex and I'm the Ingery one. I'm Freya and I'm the Neverland one. I'm Macy and I am Isavalta. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we are putting on our adventuring boots and passing through a portal to talk about portal fantasies and uh, magical worlds that we are discovering for the first time it's wonderful i'm so excited about this episode some really great yes. tent poles today you guys really good job picking these out uh but before we get into all of that what are we reading fellow serpents for the first time since childhood i reread louisa may alcott's little women because i've heard a lot of good things about uh, the new movie mm. and i'm really excited to see it so i thought i would refresh my knowledge of the book Wow, did baby Freya manage to just completely elide all of the Christian moralizing that goes on in that book? She was just like, oh, the girls are having some fun, great little anecdotes, aren't these people good? And just all the Bible shit went whoosh, which, yeah, yeah well done me. Uh, um, and I also read Learn My Lesson by Katie Roberts. Mm. This is an erotic romance with some romantic suspense kind of Wow, really it. from one end of the spectrum to the other, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> clearly. I needed something a little bit more adult. You needed to cleanse your palate. Cleanse my palate from all of that Christianity. Um, <laughs> this is in a series by Katie Robert, which is a fairly blatant adaptation of some Disney villain stories. <laughs> and Learn My Lesson is a triad romance between Hercules, Megara, and Hades, where Hades owns a BDSM club and Megara is his right-hand woman. Here for <laughs> if it. the description of that makes you think that sounds like something you would like, you would probably like oh this. Oh my gosh. Very that's, here for that's it. That's a thing. Um, it really is. <laughs> so, uh, darling listeners, uh, it has been one week since we recorded The Untamed, um, at which point I believe I quoted myself as having read 860,000 words of scum villain fanfic. Uh, in mm. the past week, I have read three more novel length scum villain fics and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, oh, Macy, <clears throat> never change. Listen, they were there and I couldn't sleep and I had my tablet open and like... It's really hard to tell how long something is when you have gone into the entire work mode on AO3. That's my excuse. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. One of them... You just keep scrolling and then the little bar at the side doesn't seem yes! to be moving very fast. Right! So you just keep scrolling. Yeah. This is my problem. Um, I have several long flights coming up, so I'm looking forward to... I've probably broken a million words now, but I'm looking forward to breaking like 1.5. One of the ones I particularly enjoyed was Our Stories Just Begun by Aishitao. And uh, it's a good fic, Blunt. It's not finished, which is nice. weird for me, but it's still a good fic. And you also went to see an art? I did. I went to see the stabby Artemisia Galeski. Freya, help. Gentilishy. Gentilishy. I was never going to get that. Thank you, Freya. Um, Seattle has an exhibit of Neapolitan art right now that has traveled all the way from South Italy. And I went to see it. Um, and I was like, I've seen all of these already. This is great. W wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of stabby 
naked people. Yeah. With wings. Yeah. Yes. And weird plants, I think I saw a picture. Was that the weird plants that you posted the in the group chat? The weird plants, yeah, that was from a different exhibit, but it caught my attention from afar. Across an entire gallery, these goth... It would. They were these giant goth sunflowers that were eating a dead dude. And I saw it and I was like, I have to take a picture, one picture of the entire gallery. And Freya's like, no, that's my beloved artist. Yes. May seems yeah. like, look, got sunflowers. And I was like, that looks like Anselm Kiefer. Is that Anselm Kiefer? I love Anselm Kiefer. <laughs> and then I had to Google Anselm Kiefer sunflowers and it was. Which just He's proves dis- once again that we are melded in some intrinsic yes. way. He's got a very distinctive art style. It's very good. Extremely, extremely drift compatible. Yeah. I, meanwhile, am still deeply on my untamed bullshit. Um, that is literally all I've been reading besides podcast homework. Um, I am busily still writing untamed fanfiction <laughs> as well. Uh, I do want to give a big shout out to what, who someone who has become one of my favorite uh, fanfic authors for the untamed fandom, uh, which is Etymology Playground. Yes. Uh, she or they or whatever pronouns this person uses uh, write some really amazing fics, and I highly recommend uh, going to read them if you are looking for good fics in this fandom. Yep. Uh, I am also still desperately trying to finish the nonfiction book that I am writing right now, which is due next Friday. That's going to be fun. And two days ago, I decided to take up bullet journaling because clearly... <laughs> Alex clearly is needed... really in search of something else to do because they are so bored and underoccupied in their life. Well, yeah. I I figured that everyone's like, bullet journaling is a great way to like organize your life and like get more stuff done. And I'm like, I need to do yeah, that. Fair. That's fast. See, so, see I, all I out. hear about bullet journaling is it's a great way to think you're going to organize your life and all that happens is that you suddenly start replacing other things in your life with time spent bullet journaling. <laughs> well, we're going to try not to do that. I'm going to try not to do too much doodling and actually use it as a productive thing. Hopefully... And then start five more podcasts because I'll have all this extra time. We, anyway, we, we have a rule, which is one a year. You technically one, have space for one. However, it is only January. Podcasting. Alexandra Roland. It's already time to start thinking about it. Alexandra anyway. Roland. Don't yes. make me come learn your middle name. You don't know my middle name? Jane? It is Jane. Well done. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I do know this. Yours it's just is not Elizabeth? Yes. Does Freya have one? I do. Freya is very mysterious. I know. I feel like I should keep it secret as part of my allure. No, but come on. 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 Well, part of me keeping my middle name secret is also because I try and keep my legal name quite separate to my writing name. Oh, that's fair. So I will keep it separate for the moment if you don't mind. That's fine. I don't mind. You can invent but one, Freya. You can I invent do not a podcast. Think our listeners name. are likely to try and like hunt me down and commit in you know, identity fraud or anything. But yes, I'll tell you what one. Freya's middle name is. Freya's middle name is Danger. <laughs> that is I now mean, canon for the podcast. Excellent. Yes, Freya Danger Mask. I love it. <laughs> it's like Danger okay. Mouse, but better. Anyway, <laughs> danger, danger Mask just sounds like a slightly dodgy superhero. <laughs> It's definitely uh, a porn version up. of a superhero. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, basically. Anyway, Wonderful. let's have an episode. Anyway, Macy, you have some news. Uh, if any of you happen to also be darling writers, we have some news, or rather a reminder, which is that if you were scribbling happily away at some stabby lesbians for me for Silk and Steel, the submissions call for that anthology is open for 10 more days, I think, roughly. It closes on February 22nd. Anyway, so... 
please send those on in. We want to read them. Very good. You should do that. I am so excited about this anthology, you guys. <laughs> it's been so great to just have a front row seat to this wonderful stuff without actually having to do any work <laughs> or have any emotional investment in it otherwise, <laughs> other than like being supportive of my friends. Uh, so yeah, super thrilled about this. <laughs> anyway, let's have an episode, shall we? Let's have an episode. So Macy, Macy, tell me about Narnia. I will tell you about Narnia. So darling listeners, did you have a book that was read to you in childhood that was kind of your first fantasy book? Yes, Narnia. Yes, Narnia. <laughs> Freya? Um, mine was The Hobbit. Nice. But I think Narnia, they were some of the first fantasy books that I found and read for myself. Mm -hmm. And by found, I mean I pulled them off my parents' shelf, but yep. read them for myself. Yeah. And I think for a lot of folks who are kind of our, of our cultural background and age... Like, Narnia was one of those books. Uh, specifically, the second Narnia book, arguably the first Narnia book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And our tentpole for today is actually the movie version of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which, Alex, would you like me to make you feel old? Yes. Always. Was Always. It came I out... I am ageless. I am, I am a swamp witch. I have lived for 5,000 years. It's true. Go. It came out precisely halfway through our lives. Came out really? 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I do feel a little bit old. How <laughs> wonderful. How very wonderful. Right. So Narnia is certainly not the original portal fantasy, as far as I can find out that's Alice in Wonderland, or at least one of the Western canon earliest ones, but it's one of the formative ones for I think the modern concept of the subgenre. Mm. Um, in which four youths investigate a wardrobe and find themselves yeeted into a magical world that has been waiting just for them. I don't know why I'm surprised at you using the word yeeted, but I can't complain about it. It's my favorite thing about you that you do. I mean, it's clearly the correct term for portal fantasy. Yeah, I was going to keep a tally of how many times Macy could appropriately insert the word yeet into the episode, and I'm putting down one. <laughs> Okay, um, the Lord's starting with a serpent cast insertion tally, and I'm not so sure how I feel about that. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, anyway, we're off to a great start, guys. <laughs> so, dick jokes. Was that a dick joke? It was a dick joke. I feel like that was the other thing. So, speaking speaking of uh, Christian morality that went straight over the head of childhood Freya. Oh, yeah. Oh, this yeah. Is so, also so Christian. Um, and I think that one of the things that really struck me watching this movie, differently from what I remembered, was the portal aspect of the children's escape from London and the Blitz. Mm. Yes, absolutely. That's great. Right? There was because... a very clear shot of that with mm -hmm. them going into the tunnel and it going dark on the and train. And I thought to myself, you know, isn't that... They're very clearly highlighting the historical context for people who might not be there and i had a lot of feelings about the babies in the blitz i'm like no that's like what happened to my grandparents you know yeah. um and that's what c.s lewis was kind of doing was building an escapist fantasy where peter in particular but also the rest of them had some agency over this horrific war that was taking their family from them um, yep. that in the real life they had absolutely no control over yeah, although it was interesting, like it very much starts as an escape, and then they make this. They're in this amazing house in the country, but then from the house in the country, they get and further 
quotation marks, escape into a new world. But the new world is at war. Well, not necessarily mm-hmm. at war, but the new world has a war waiting for them. Specifically, specifically for them. For them. And that's such a post-World War One concept. Mm. This whole idea of, I mean, it got, the Christian morality is wound in there as well. But this idea that you cannot actually escape the fight against evil. Right. Like, even when you think you've escaped, you haven't. And especially about the fact that young men and English young men yep. have to eventually embroil themselves in a war and there's a very clear scene where aslan is like oh no all of you adult warriors can stand back from killing this wolf i was so i've decided this child has to bloody his hands and become a killer in order to become a king and i was like this is a child maybe one of the grown-ups who knows how to hold a sword could kill the wolf but i was so so mad at aslan at that point and the sort of mad that i was reminded me a lot of the sort of mad that i was at dumbledore right yeah. And it's like, on a metaphorical level, it says all of us must take responsibility for the struggle against evil in our lives. Sure. Yeah. But on a very non-metaphorical level, this is in a post-World a War I Britain talking yeah. about we have sent all of our young men away to do our fighting for us. Was this post-World War One or post-World War It was War post-World War Two. Yes. Um, but if you look at where it sits, so you're absolutely right. Alice in Wonderland is mid-19th century. Right. So it was published in about 1860-something. So that's Peter Napoleon. Pan, that's the point. So Peter Pan was Edwardian. Yep. So J.M. Barry's Peter Pan uh, play and then novel came out in the first decade of the 20th century. And that's pre-World War One. And yep. you can see that there is still this – the Edwardians and the late Victorians were doing some stuff around – childhood and what is a child Child, and the morality of childhood which is all of what peter pan is about and then you hit narnia which is post two wars yep and And suddenly we're talking about evil and we're talking about evil and we're talking about the fact that a portal fantasy is no longer an escape and imaginative play it is a metaphor for the darkness that has come up in our lives right which is you know a little depressing (laughs) (laughs) and it is this entanglement of um we have lost two successive generations and we somewhat expect to lose more and Christian morality. Um, yeah, but also, and also this weird thing. I mean, we're going to dig into the colonialism aspect in a second, oh, yes. but there's also some very weird class stuff happening in that with this, especially the idea in the wars that the upper class was the officer class mm-hmm. and that you have these humans turning up in Narnia and they're like, well, now you have to lead the, you have to lead the war. Yep. We're behind you. We believe you can do it. And he's like, I'm literally a child. I have no training in warfare. And Aslan yeah. just like buggers off and is yeah. like, this, ch- this child can lead the army. He's suited to it. And that is what happened in World War One. The right. upper classes were considered to be naturally officer material. And none of them, lots of them had no idea what they were doing. Well, if you look at it, yeah. it's a lot like Monstrous Regiment, right? Yes. Like that's yeah. something that Pratchett is digging into as well with the uselessness of the lieutenant who has to be managed by his underling who's far more senior and has far more experience than he does. Um, but you're right about the, it's not even particularly colonialism so much as it is white saviour. Um, yes. Right, mm. like the the children of Adam, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve are very clearly you know here is the cream of of white british youth come to save the natives from Mm -hmm. this evil that they have allowed to fester inside of them that christianity and the not and aslan with his chosen white children will Mm -hmm. save them from and there's because and because there's no good reason that these people that people coming from the external world to the internal world should be any better than the people who belong to that world there has to be a prophecy 
just to say, Yay. well, you're going to save us because prophecy. Because Also because Aslan won't get off his ass for anyone who isn't his chosen people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're Honestly like, oh, true. you've arrived. Now the winter will start thawing. Now Aslan will start actually showing up. I mean, yes. And honestly, fuck Aslan, really. Yeah. <laughs> fuck Aslan. Fuck Dumbledore and fuck Aslan. That's a mood. Let's talk yeah. about Tilda Swinton and the box of Turkish delights. Oh, okay. Tilda Swinton in this movie. <laughs> so good. Every time she was on screen, I was like, oh, I love everything you're doing. I was just deeply concerned for her bodice. Yes. No, it's fantastic. It's <laughs> just like a ball <laughs> with her boobs in it. It was, it was, it was so structured. It was so rigid. Yes, but very like, costume. Every Do time she's side to... on, there's like half a yard of bodice at the back. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I'm like, are you having to be very strategic about camera angles, or did you put like skin-colored pasties on her? Because like, mm. that, if you looked from above, that it was going to go badly. Tilda yeah. Swinton is just like so cool. Yeah, she she's is. Incredible. I also. I also have a thing, read the Turkish Delights, which is that everybody is like, ew, I had Turkish Delight and it's gross. And I don't know why anyone would like betray his family for a box of these things. And one, that's not, you have to remember what that's not what it's. Yeah. No, I mean, for one thing, don't try Turkish Delight if you're getting it from like a shelf where it's dusty and it's been sitting there for ages. What Macy? Yes. I am yes, saying okay. violently, yes. It's like, don't eat mochi yeah, well, from just, a package just and drink. say that mochi's <laughs> shitty. Right, right. Like, if you're going to have Turkish Delight and judge it, then have good Turkish Delight, because you know that she's giving him, like, the best fucking Turkish Delight that has ever existed. And I have had some really damn... I would, I would potentially sell out my family for the best <laughs> Turkish Delight that I've ever had. Also, second, is context is important. Edmund has just been living through yep. British rationing he and has hasn't had no sugar... Had sugar. He has yeah, had yeah. no sugar for God knows how long. And, and I so, like, if I was a small child and I was offered sugar for the first time in possibly years, I'd sell out my family. And also, I can't remember if it happens this way in the book, but in the movie, he specifically asks for it. Yes. Like, it's either yeah. something that he's tried once and built up in his head as this amazing thing, or it's something that he's always wanted to try. So it's mm -hmm. like it has personal meaning for him as an object yeah. of desire. But also... And I agree. Good Turkish delight. Amazing. Yes. But also, it's not at all about that. And it's very clearly shown in the movie. I believe somewhat more so than in the books that mm -hmm. this is an uncertain, insecure kid who is acting out because he's scared and mm -hmm. his family doesn't know how to deal with it and deals with it in the worst possible ways by putting him down. Or at least he feels mm -hmm. like they are putting him down. He feels like... Everyone thinks he is a bad kid. Mm. Yeah, like, it's very feels, clear. Yeah, and then he feels guilty for lying about not believing Lucy. Yes. And then he doubles down on the guilt. Yeah, and he is so he is so torn up and rotten inside, not in a way that like he is bad, but just like he has a thing that is doing him harm. And this yeah. beautiful regal woman comes along and says, No, you're special, and you're special to me, not just you are intrinsically special, but like I value you. I will give you presence with this magic. It didn't matter what it was. It could have been anything. Edmund has severe middle child syndrome. Yeah. Like more so like Susan is technically also a middle Susan child, has but she's oldest the daughter. Oldest daughter, exactly, mm. exactly. Yes. She has eldest daughter syndrome. Uh, Peter has eldest son syndrome, so it's fine. And Lucy is the baby. Yeah. Edmund is stuck in this like middle child thing and just wants some attention and does just want to be special to someone. Edmund so, wants like, to be baby. 
and Edmund wants to yeah um so frankly I don't blame him at all and I will defend Edmund until yeah, the end. I agree I think the movie set up the psychology of that really really well yes because in the book yeah. I mean it, it's so clearly a you know where there is darkness and rot the devil can creep in that's the whole yeah. point of it but yeah. in the movie did a really good job of making that quite realistic to kid psychology Mm -hmm. especially like setting up the thing where he was the one who goes back into the house to get the picture of his dad you get the sense Mm -hmm. that maybe edmund and his dad had a we have a really good relationship and now the parent that he is closest to is the one that is gone yep and he really really resents peter oh yes for trying to be his step into the dad position yes yeah yep 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 all of that makes perfect sense to me but we were speaking a little bit about the colonialist roots of a lot of portal fantasy and i think that our next tentpole does an amazing job of kind of pulling that apart and stabbing it our next tentpole is the amazing ten thousand doors of january by alex e harrow um this book was so good it was full of the sort of like very particular to me things that I like. Did you guys yes. like have multiple moments reading this going like, this is entirely Alex's jam? Yo. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's about the magic of words and doors, capital D, between worlds and taking power for yourself and moving past the plans that other people had for you and sort of like forging your own destiny and like taking charge of your life. It's very much like a coming of age sort of story Mm. in the best kind of way. Uh, So there's this girl, January, uh, who is kind of in this ambiguous in-betweeny place in society. Because for one thing, she is perceived to be, quote unquote, a colored woman in this uh, 1910s, 1920s, 1910s, I think. Um, So her father is perceived as a person of color her mother was a white woman uh and so she is sort of ambiguous in that people look at her and they're not quite sure how to treat her Mm -hmm. um are you a white woman are you a woman of color we're not sure we're going to err on the side of you look rich dressed so we must have to treat you so there's this element of like privilege that she gradually has to like confront and then lose through the course of the novel as she rejects her foster father who raised her um, and discovers that he's evil and sort of the truth of what has been happening for her whole childhood. And I think Uh, the way that they do that with the like hypnosis. Yeah. So he has the power to basically with his words, with his spoken words, um, convince you of things or like remake what you think and how mm-hmm. you think and has been yeah. doing that to her her whole life yeah even like, if it's just as small as january stay still or january mind your place mm-hmm. um like he controls her in these very subtle ways and sort of boxes her in smaller and smaller and smaller and it takes a long time for her to realize that there is a world outside that box that she's been put it's into all about societal oppression right oh absolutely and you're right you're right it uses words as power as a metaphor for that in that the way she manages to make herself doors to get into other worlds and to escape the situation she's in is by writing about them Uh, and i liked that it wasn't that she is the only person to have this power that the doors are not something that is special to her but they Mm -hmm. are something that is already known about that her sort of evil foster father is part of a group of people who are who know about these and are attempting to find a way to either use this power and this resource for their own gain, or if they can't do that, 
to shut them down entirely. Mm. So it's about her actually coming into a legacy of power that is being kept from her, but that is actually part of her inheritance from her parents. Yes, yes. How are these two two books kind of in conversation with each other? Because I feel like every portal fantasy is sort of in conversation with Narnia in some way. Do you agree? I think so. Yeah, um, but- and I think, look, I, I agree. I think it's to do with the idea of the kingdom that you are going to or the world that you're going to being something that is meant for you. Mm-hmm. Like in a certain way, Narnia is the inheritance of the Pevensies. Like it is what they are meant for. They are destined for it. Whereas yeah. January um, is meant to have this power, but it's not necessarily that she is special. It's just that it's something that exists and she has as much right to it as anyone else. Well, I will say that for me, this book has a book within a book. And for me, Aid was the portal fantasy heroine, not January. Yeah. So January is a witch with dimension hopping powers, which subtly, but for me in a real way, is different from being a portal fantasy heroine. Aid was mm-hmm. the one who left her world behind and went into a place where she was alien. Um, yeah. And did so repeatedly. Whereas... January had the ability to go or leave and stay wherever she wanted. Like she was, she had control over that in a way, like she could dip in and out of worlds and almost use them as tools. Um, And so to me, that's a little bit of a different framing. And I do think that this one is almost two levels, three levels deep in conversation with Narnia rather than in direct conversation with Narnia. Mm. But also another thing that I loved in this book was how many interesting, different, badass women there were. Oh yeah. Yes. Like you look at the role, if you describe the roles of January's two parents, you're like, well, one of them was a scholar librarian who did a lot of research and waited around for their love. And the other one was a badass adventurer who became like wandering with no money and fought people off and like did a quest and went and found their beloved. Which genders would you pick? Usually, traditionally, like the badass adventurer is the father, Mm -hmm. except in this one, the badass adventurer is the mother. And she is so cool. And also a thing that I really appreciate about this book is that it explicitly kind of says that she's not that beautiful. Like she's just sort of like a person looking person like her hands are rough and scarred and her face is like tanned and and freckled and like her jaw is very square and I just kind of appreciate that like she has this great burning love of her life Mm. who adores her across universes and like she's not this great legendary beauty you know that's not what matters that's not what matters. No, it's that like their souls are in resonance with each other. And I was thinking about and trying to think about other ways in which it's conversation in conversation with Narnia. I think the way that this would this story would be told would be if somebody from Narnia gained the power to move through portals mm. into other worlds because then you have the oppressed population per se if we're thinking about it in terms of colonialism. Because Jan- I think if you're again if you're going back to thinking about January rather than her parents, I quite liked that this book showed a door is not something that is waiting for you. It's right. not something that you're going to stumble across in, in a room in an old house. It's something that you actually have to create and imagine for yourself. And the ways in which power is exerted over January is by taking away her materials, quite literally in the form yep. of either like taking away her pen and paper or by the hypnosis trick, essentially colonizing her mind until she doesn't believe in her own ability to get out. Right. Yes. Do we want to 
move on to the next one, which I think is in more direct conversation with Alice than anything. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So our third tentpole is a novella, Every Heart a Doorway by Sean and Maguire. This is the first book in a series of novellas called mm-hmm. The Wayward Children. And it is very, very directly about portal fantasy. Right. So it's a very meta series of novellas about what happens to the children who return from portal fantasies. Some of them don't return, but some of them do. Mm-hmm. And this is set at a school for the children who return and are deeply unhappy about it and <laughs> want more than anything to find a way to go back to their world. Yep. And part of the world building is that there is also a school in North America for people who have returned and are happy about it, who don't want to go back but need some help adjusting back into the real world. Mm-hmm. But this is a story. This is a school full of children who desperately more than anything want to find their doors again and go Mm -hmm. back to the world for whatever reason they had to leave and so it's really digging into and interrogating the problems with first of all children as protagonists of portal fantasies who then get spat back out after their life-changing adventure into a world that hasn't changed all the changing has happened in themselves and this says well maybe the children haven't changed maybe you find the world that is perfect for you yep where you can be your truest and most authentic self and so then when you do come back to the to our world everything feels wrong and they do it does this through the um the protagonist of every harder doorway is a girl called nancy who went to an underworld where she learned to stand very still and everything was black and white and pomegranate seeds and it was perfect for her and now she has come back to the world and is deeply, deeply unhappy, and her parents have sent her off to this school, which is sold to the parents as a place where you will get your child back. We will fix them with group therapy. And Nancy starts to meet some of the other uh, children at the school, and then there is also a murder mystery, which is quite good. There's a lot happening in a short space in this novella. It made me think a lot about the changeling myths and the ways that neurodivergent children get treated Mm. right where at a certain point of development the parents will look at their child and say i don't understand that's not my child that's an alien like what is that it's a changeling that's a changeling i know how to deal with those right um and that's something that even in the modern day parents will kind of struggle to deal with and i think that's what we see with nancy and her parents um but i think that this series has a very different audience to Narnia. Like, Narnia is about a set of perfectly nice children who have all the privilege that they could eat. Yeah. In a shitty situation, because the world is in a shitty situation, but these are white, relatively well-off children. Um, As far as we know, they are straight. As far as we know, they are able-bodied and neurotypical um, going on an adventure. Every Heart a Doorway is for those of us who don't fit in, right? Every, every heart of doorway is for those of us who are mad at Aslan. <laughs> yeah. Well, who are mad at our parents or, like, the world. Yeah, but also specifically mad at Aslan for his very cavalier approach to when you can and can't stay in Narnia. Yes, also, exactly. Um, you go away. You come back. Oh. oh, no, no, you can't come back anymore. You've passed some kind of arbitrary age slash maturity level. No more yeah. Narnia for you. Sorry. Bye. That's fair. Because because liking lipstick and nylons makes you a bad person. Uh, the problem of Susan. The problem of Susan, which has been talked about <laughs> extensively elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, every heart of doorway does dig into the fact that occasionally that worlds are not value neutral. 
and that some of yeah. them are capricious in this way. And there might be that you are now too old yep. for this nonsense world. Like um, Eleanor, whose school it is, there's this really right. like quite terrifying line that basically says she went to a nonsense world when she was a child and her mind could move in nonsense ways. Every time she came back out of the door, and she she's the one of the few people who can go back in and out of yep. her own world at will, but now when she goes back, she doesn't fit in because she is too adult. Yep. And she is mm. waiting for her mind to go. Yep. To have a, like the second childhood of senility, at which point she will then go back to her world and fit in again, which is very bleak. Yes. It's bleak, but it's also sort of sweet and comforting in a way. Mm. You know, because like she has this this beautiful place that she loves so much, which is waiting for her. Because a lot of to a lot of people, like senility or, and dementia is like a very scary sort of thing. Right. Um, but it's comforting to like know that you have this great piece of joy waiting for you at the end of your life, where you get to go home. And I think that that and other things was kind of why this reminded me of the season six of Buffy where mm. I have not seen season six of Buffy tell us so more at the end of season five Buffy throws herself off a tower into a portal hilariously to save her sister and she mm. dies oh yes that bit she dies um and at the beginning of episode six the Scoobies resurrect her successfully mm -hmm. thinking that she'd been in hell they're going to rescue her and it comes out in the musical episode um that Actually, she was in heaven, and oh, yeah. she spends the whole season like deeply depressed and traumatized, and like everything about the world is sandpaper because she's been torn out of heaven to be here, yeah. where it's grimy and full of people fighting and people she loved are dying. That is a cool kind of take on portal fantasy, isn't it? I mean, the afterlife as portal fantasy is very much like what Narnia's The Last Battle is all about, yeah. right? Yeah, further up and further in. It's that was a weird, cool book. That was a very strange book. I had yeah. to do so many essays on that for <laughs> religious studies when I was at school. I think oh. they were just oh, I remember it deeply. They just threw the book at us and they were like, "Here are a lot of very difficult philosophical essay questions that you have to work through this term." I think they had just like checked out. They were like, "Here you go, yeah, enjoy." And yeah. the last question was, "Is there life after death?" Discuss. So there's some cool dot points down here. <laughs> to every harder doorway um one of the things that this book does comment on is the preponderance of girls mm. who are as heroines of portal fantasy and the explanation that the book gives is that the reason more girls end up in portal fantasy worlds than boys is because more boys are caught before they can go missing because yes. they are more mm. likely to be noisy or just noticed um whereas because girls are more likely to be expected to self-soothe and to self-amuse, it can take a long time before someone notices that a girl is missing. And the quote that's provided is, we notice the silence of men, we depend upon the silence of women. Hmm. Which is a good line. But it's a I, good line. Yeah, but I would argue, Macy, that what you were saying before about this being a book for people who are different and people don't fit in provides a secondary yes. thesis that the book is actually providing about why it is more likely to be women. And it's because women are more likely to feel that the role they've been put in requires them to find an escape. And I think yeah. Jack and Jill, the, the twin characters in this yep. book, who then get their own novellas later in the series, especially uh, provide an example of that, of these girls who have been put into roles by their parents and they just desperately want to escape and find somewhere where they can be their own authentic selves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot more restrictions on who you are and what you can be if you are 
female or queer or trans particularly, or I would imagine and cannot speak to experience that many people of colour similarly find themselves put in a place that they don't want to be by those around mm -hmm. them. So yeah, portal fantasy is not for the privileged. No, but I think unfortunately it comes from mm -hmm. a desire to be even more important than you are. Yeah. Oh look, we are lovely white privileged children. Here we can be kings and queens. As we deserve. As we deserve. That's the thing. Like It has quite a selfish kernel at the heart of it. The idea that even if you do have a lot of privilege in your life, somewhere there is a world that you are the most important person. And that's why Portal Fantasy is such a childhood fantasy. Mm -hmm. Because part of growing up and coming of age is learning that you are not the most important person. And Portal Fantasy, to a certain extent, is saying, oh, but what if you were? <laughs> what if there was a prophecy? What if you are destined to sit on a throne? Yeah. <sighs> is the first book of Harry Potter sort of a portal fantasy? Yes. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Um I mean I think if he didn't go of. away to Hogwarts, it wouldn't be. Right. But be because it, because it's more it's it's a layered magic. It's a secret magic yeah. book. But because yeah. as soon as he finds out about secret magic, he literally gets transported to a place that is entirely different. I think yep. it does count. Yeah, and also because, like, literally all of us who read that before age 11 spent the year we turned oh, 11 yes. waiting for a Hogwarts letter, right? So it's very much a I, a normal person, could access this place of magic and mystery and have adventures. Well, let's talk about, uh, wait, Freya wanted to talk about the Narnian <laughs> succession crisis first. Yes. I very much want to talk about Freya this. Freya said, the good thing about Every Heart of Doy is that it says, here is the trope. Here are the fucking consequences yeah. of that trope, such as having four children go away, become kings and queens, grow to maturity, lead mm -hmm. their kingdom into a golden age, and then disappear. And number one, <laughs> you have the psychological effect of those grown adults then becoming children again, which is fucked yep. up on so many levels. Yes. But number yes. two, what what the hell? Like Narnia <laughs> now has no kings and no queens. None of them had children. And they there never put no, anyone in the spot. Either there right? are no, yeah they, there are no other sons of Adam and daughters of Eve left because they are the only special ones. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Nobody can the govern the kingdom. Crisis. Whoops! Yeah, they're just like, oh well, now we have no kings and no queens, and that's why it gets open to Telmarine invasion, which is what happens in Prince Caspian. Yep. Is that they go back and oh no, our wonderful kingdom got invaded by foreigners. We have to take that's back what's the throne. I'm like, yeah, guess whose fault that was, Aslan. And guess who's fucking foreign here? Yeah, oh, it's the, yeah. Dick. It manages to take the colonialist fantasy and throw in some racism, I'm some local like, racism uh, for funsies. C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, why? Why are you like this, C.S. Lewis? Ah dear. Anyway, that was my rant about the Great Narnian Succession Crisis. Would we like to move on? Let's let's move on. Let's talk about this. Let's dig into what is the heart of portal fantasy what makes something a portal fantasy so it starts with a protagonist who is in some way quote-unquote mundane so, uh, so someone yep. who's going to be relatable to the reader some who, someone who the reader can sort of put themselves in this person's place yep. a normal <laughs> person and then they are thrown into extraordinary circumstances right. And usually there is, usually there's like a literal portal of some kind. I would say that 
to me, it's important that they're not just thrown into new circumstances, but they're taken out of their setting and put into a new setting. So right. generally pulled away from their friends and family, sometimes into a whole new world, sometimes like with Harry Potter, a boarding school. Many boarding schools mm-hmm. are portal fantasies. Um, <laughs> it's the Princess Diaries, a portal fantasy. The second Was one. Was Princess Diaries it? Oh, I didn't read the second one. Well, she, with no. the one where she actually gets taken to the country and it turns very Ruritanian. Um, yeah, I was going to say, um, no, Princess Diaries is Ruritanian. It's not Portal Fantasy. Well, it's yes. its own thing. Yes, it's its own thing. But that fantasy of I will be taken from my normal everyday life and yeeted off into yeah. another world where I will be important royalty, <coughs> Ruritania. Right. Yeah, that's right. Is Fair enough. Portal Fantasy. <laughs> yeah. Is Naya I, I, a Ruritanian? <laughs> I'm with Macy on this one. No, Ruritania, you have to be a doppelganger. That's just the rules. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. I would argue that an important part of it being a portal fantasy is that there has to be the option or the choice of a return. Mm. Mm. You do not necessarily have to return, but at some point you either do return or you are offered the opportunity to. I think at some point is very important because I think yes. a lot of portal fantasy, you get there, you are trapped this is distressing. You are you distressed by back. the fact that you can't go back and there is something preventing you from it. Either the door has vanished or like your brother has been kidnapped by a witch. Right. Quote unquote kidnapped. Your brother has kidnapped himself to a witch. Yeah. <laughs> it was quite funny that there was zero discussion about the, oh, we've decided to stay and grow up here. I'm like, <laughs> like, you know, at no in the Narnia thing, at no point were they like, well, okay, when Lucy was here for, you know, several hours, no time had passed. Yep. So, you know, would you like, maybe you might want to consider that living several lifetimes in this land, there might be some time passing. Your mother might yeah. be worried. No, no discussion of that whatsoever. No we- discussion of like, did your father ever come back from the war? I think in the books it was established that there is a degree of memory fade. Um, yeah. in mm. either direction as you spend more time in that particular land like it's definitely they yeah. forget and it's even in the movie you know they forget what the lamppost was right 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 um, yeah but yeah, yeah, yeah no it's right. a bit yeah, it's a bit hand wavy but how, yeah. how about how about a taxonomy okay we love a taxonomy I have two types of portal fantasy and I think that there might be more I'm interested in your thoughts but okay one is a fantasy where you're arriving marks you as special and you are given powers maybe you gain magic maybe you have the power of science um and everybody knows that you are from somewhere else and that's cool and the other one is the type of fantasy where it would be dangerous for you to let anybody know you have to hide it and you have to try to pretend to be part of the world that you've now joined because eh, Mm. consequences uh so um outlander for example i think fits into that yep Mm. Are there others? Are there in-between there, ones? There is. Uh, I'm thinking about this as a sort of subsection of Fortal Fantasy, which is the deeply problematic Pocahontas type story. Like Avatar is a Portal Fantasy. Eesh. Like James Cameron's terrible Avatar, Eesh. which is about, you know, you go to this new amazing place and it's so special and you want to fit in. It's where you're meant to be. But there is a threat to it being used as a resource. So the colonialist appropriative yes portal fantasy cool cool yes so i was actually on a panel on portal fantasy at a convention with shauna mcguire at one point oh. and the room ended up agreeing that uh thoughtless tourism is a portal fantasy <laughs> you know white people going to a place where it's just like oh well i stand out here and my money goes further and it's so special and exotic and it's changing me 
You know, I'm finding myself here. I can feel myself changing. And then you go home. Yeah, I abruptly need, <laughs> speaking of thoughtless tourism, I abruptly need to change which one I am. It's still going to be a Diana oh, Wynne Jones book. It's just that now it's going to be Durkholm because The <laughs> yes. Dark Lord of Durkholm is the best portal fantasy as tourism book ever. Yes, it is. <laughs> and it is told by the point of view as of the pissed off locals. Of the people, yes, oh. the pissed off locals who have to endure the tourists coming in and like exploiting them for entertainment and... It's fucking wonderful. Actually, Jesus. yes. If you want to read good take on Portal Fantasy, the Dirk Home books are amazing. You know what else? Yes. Westworld totally does this, right? I haven't seen it. Westworld is an entire massive theme park full of robots who are programmed to think that they are Wild West humans. And yeah. very rich people from a technologically advanced future just amble in to play at being Wild West bandits and adventurers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that holiday is a portal fantasy, right? You can run around shooting people yes. and stealing things and raping women a lot because yep. it's one of the HBO type of show. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot like Dark Lord of Yeah. Yep. Exploitative. That's mm. a lot like Dark, Dark Lord of Jerkholm. Yeah. And I don't know if it fits into your taxonomy, but um, I think the reason, one thing that you can say is that there are a lot of portal fantasies that are puberty metaphors. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a reason why there are a lot of children there. And I wanted to mention briefly Alan Moore and Melinda Gebby's Lost Girls. Have you heard of this? Mm-mm. All right. So this is a trilogy of, I suppose, essentially a graphic graphic novels um, by written by Alan Moore and illustrated by Melinda Gebby, which are pornography. Like they are mm-hmm. straight up erotic art, the whole thing. And they have a lot to say about the history of pornography and what we consider pornography and the ethics and morality of pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are set immediately before World War One, and the three main characters are Dorothy, Alice, and Wendy as grown women who meet in a hotel and end up forming a friendship and telling one another the stories of their lives and their own portal fantasies mm. in a way that reframes their books as how these girls interpreted certain traumatizing events that happened to them um, and how they were expected to grow up quickly and their sexual awakenings, both good and traumatic. And it is an incredibly confronting but beautifully done uh, series of books about girlhood and fantasy. So definitely not for everyone, but I think they're very impressive. Reminds me of the Filk... um... Oh, what's it called? The girl who's never been. Oh, no. oh, yes, that's a good song. It's a good song. We'll we'll link it. Hmm. But and Sean and Maguire actually has a song called "Wicked Girls." Yes, as well, which is also with, amazing. Which, which is about this about girls growing up and girls in portal fantasy. But I was trying to think of other patterns than puberty because you're totally right. That's a huge thing. Um, and I was thinking about this kind of strange freeing adult women from a grey and sexless existence genre Mm. um, which Anne McCaffrey's first published book I think, Restoree I don't advise reading it um, but it was about a woman who was essentially alien kidnapped and made into a extremely attractive sex object kind of woman on an alien planet. And it was a portal fantasy of kinds, but it was very much about, you know, women who in their own homes and societies and lives don't have agency over their own sexuality. 
Um, and Isabelta, mm. to a degree, is similar to this. Although the main character of Isabelta has had previous relationships, she's kind of living alone as a spinster, minding a. I was about to say water tower. That's not what I mean. The one with the flashy light for boats. Lighthouse. Lighthouse. Um, but no, I think that there's a pattern of those, and maybe it's died out now. Maybe this is an eighties thing because mm. these. Well, Isabelta's like early thousands, but like maybe it's not as much of a thing mm. now. But you do do yeah. different things when with the story when the person passing through the portal isn't adult. So obviously we were talking about yeah. the magicians, which has two sort yes. of separate portal fantasies. It's kind of doing the Harry Potter oh. one in that you go away to magic school, and it also has a very clear let's poke fun at oh, Narnia. Yes. Uh, magical world where when humans go through they have to become the high king and the other kings and queens yep even though they are unsuited for it very bad at it and all the locals are very annoyed about this fact and their thrones are cursed Uh, and Uh. i'm trying to think if there are any other portal fantasies i've read of that sort of like coming in like new adulthood like trying to discover yourself Mm -hmm. and i thought of guy gabriel k's fionnavar tapestry which is a similar thing where I think it's university age students who go through into a fantasy world. They have been prophesized to come and do various things. And it's very dark. Some of the shit that they have been prophesized to do is like not great at all. One of them has to go. It's like Arthuriana and some Norse mythology and stuff. And it's like, yeah, yeah, here you are in this magical world. Now your life's going to get really hard. Kind of like the magic kingdom for sale sold, which is basically like white dude buys a portal fantasy. Because that... (laughs) Sure. Why not? So to complete the sort of triptych of age-related portal fantasy things, we have puberty, we have new adulthood, and we also have age, like with Howl's Moving Castle, because Sophie is kind of confronting what it feels like to be an old woman. And she is dealing... She's not... I mean, she kind of like has a portal fantasy going on, but she's not the person actually having a portal fantasy because that's Howl. Uh, who is a person from this world, Wales. On Honestly, like at this point, I feel like Diana Wynne-Jones just has ambient portal she fantasy. She does. Yeah. She really does. And that you can't count it when it's not about, like Howl's Moving Castle is nothing to do with the fact that it's a portal fantasy. It just is one because it's Diana Wynne-Jones. It, that's true. Yeah, that's because true. Her whole I mean, thing Sophie is does just... go through a magical portal and visits Wales. Yeah, that's <laughs> the magical true. land like, of Wales. I mean, like, like it no is a magical door anything. that you go through. Ah. But yeah, I do, I do find it quite amusing that Howl and also the other wizard like the two people who are wizards mm-hmm. in this world are both people from our world who found the magical world of Ingery and were like, oh, we like this and just stayed and had careers yep. as wizards. <laughs> and day jobs. Yeah. And day jobs. And oh. I think Diana Wynne-Jones does a lot of portal fantasy is my day job. Like Crestomancy's yes. whole thing is going to other worlds <laughs> God, and fixing yes. messes. And the Majids, their whole thing is going to other worlds and fixing messes. Yes. <sighs> yep. I, I miss her. I miss her a lot. Anyway, let's move on. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about other subgenres that do the same thing mm-hmm. as Portal Fantasy. I have a list. Tell us you your do list. Have a list. Tell us your list. I have a list. Well, I posit that certain kinds of time travel are Portal Fantasy. Okay. Accepted. Yep. You know, when you go back in time and you're kind of dumped in this world, it's basically the same as being yeeted into a medieval yeah, fantasy. Yeah, all world. of Doctor Who is Portal Fantasy. Hi of i think that's again that's similar to what i'm saying where january to me was less of a portal fantasy heroine than her mother was because she had control was using it as a tool okay it's a little bit more like a quantum leap i haven't seen it 
Quantum Leap is a terrible 90s TV show in which a dude with a scientific device yeets himself into various other people's on their worst day of their lives and like possesses them and has to solve their problems yeah. for them. Freya, are you keeping track of all these yeets? That was four. Oh, Macy is self-keeping track. That's wonderful. No, I had, <laughs> I had gotten completely lost. I had just been vaguely aware that there had been many. Yeah. But Macy has put in brackets here, time travel brackets, Outlander. And I think that is a great example. <laughs> Outlander is it absolutely is a, great... a portal fantasy and it has right? definitely set off some subgenres of the romance uh, genre mm. that are very much in the same portal sense in that you have to go somewhere else to find the true love for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. I think some wormhole sci-fi is and some isn't. Stargate is not. Stargate can fuck off. Farscape is. But Farscape most definitely is for Crichton, yes. but mm. not for them just popping around through wormholes. Right. Not like, using... That they understand. Not the people using Moya's wormhole technology as a method of travel, but for Crichton, who not has me. been yeeted out of his, or rather yoinked out of his, Yoink. <laughs> yoinked out of his, his context and into, yeeted into a different context. I'm doing my best here, Macy, are you proud of me? I, I've come, then I've come up with a new um, restriction or a new thing that has to okay. happen for a deep portal fantasy. You have to be unaware of what's on the other side of the portal. Mm, okay. Mm, At like least that. to begin with. It can't be yeah. something that yeah, you, yeah, yeah. everybody knows there's another world and you're going around searching for the other world or, you know, here is a portal. We know where it leads. I think it has to be an element unknown. of the great unknown, yeah. It has to and be the unknown. And this is why The you. Magicians is like treading on whether it is or isn't. It's a little bit too self-aware. I also think that Star Trek Voyager, you could make an argument mm. when they get yoinked to the other end of the universe, but I'm less convinced of that. Yeah. I also have a theory that there are a couple of fanfic-specific genres that are portal fantasies. I would love to hear about this. Self-inserts. Okay. I have a confession. The very okay. the very first fanfic that I ever wrote <laughs> was me roughly age 13 writing a self-insert fanfic Portal Fantasy where me and my two best friends at the time got yeeted into The Lord of the Rings. I yep. am not ashamed of my history. I <laughs> was a tiny sweet thing and we were all deeply Mary Sues. Yep. So I think yep. you don't even need to have the eating in story. The no, act, don't. the act of writing a self insert yeah. is an act of creating your own portal. Yes, that's that, true. That's a great way of looking at it, Freya. But also the genre convention where it's kind of like a reincarnation, and you are a baby with the memories of you is how a lot of the anime fandoms do it. Hmm. You are born into that world, oh. and you just. Yeah. I think that's still a portal fantasy. I think that would kind be a portal of. fantasy. Do you not think I've ever come across this? That's slightly creepy. Oh, there's loads of them in Naruto. You You're born as a baby with memories. Read no, dreaming creepy, of sunshine. Creepy. It's great. <laughs> it's wonderful. And also, Scum Villain, which I will someday learn the rest of the title of, is a portal fantasy. Okay. So transmigration is like a reincarnation version of like you get you end up put into a novel or a story. And this is apparently a popular trope in many Chinese web novels. Do you get to keep all of your genre savvy? Yeah. That's wonderful. That's kind right? of the best situation to be in, is to like be in a, a book or a setting which you're really familiar about, where you can look around and go like, okay, I know exactly what's going to happen yeah. based on tropes. Well, <laughs> In Other Lands does that. Yes. Which we yes. About. yes. We were talking about our Love bisexual disasters episode. In Other Lands is about a genre savvy person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and sure, mm-hmm. like the existence of the other lands is a surprise to him, but he's not unprepared. Yes, he is not. God, that's such a good book. <laughs> such a good book. I miss that book. 
we can read it again. Macy, I have an offer for you. Would you like to yell about Homestuck? Always, but I feel like I've been yelling a lot. Would you like to join me? I will join you in yelling about Homestuck. Okay. Freya, do you I <laughs> will sit here with my cup of tea. Freya is too And let the Homestuck, homestuck. wash over me. Because <laughs> I got... I feel like uh, look, Freya... I probably got further than most people would expect into Homestuck, but I gave up and then promptly wiped the whole thing from my memory <laughs> to make room for other shit. Wonderful. So continue also, your yelling. We have like three minutes to yell about Homestuck. Let's okay. go. One, two, three, go. Let's go. Um, I want to talk about the really cool way that Homestuck is a portal fantasy that you don't realize for ages yeah. because the main storyline is in one world and you don't realize that the internet trolls are literal trolls from another universe mm -hmm. that you're going to have to jump through a portal to go join. Yes, that's that a was great. some very, very concise yelling. That, I was being very concise. But also, the super cool thing about Homestuck is that they are playing a game to avert the apocalypse, but they slowly figure out that they can't avert the apocalypse. The apocalypse is definitely going to happen. The thing they the have to do instead... The apocalypse is going to avert them. <laughs> the apocalypse is going to avert the fuck out of them. Um, is that they have to create a new universe to yes. yeet themselves into. Yes. And, like, build it. And mm -hmm. it sort of starts as, like, a little bit The Sims. Yes. <laughs> Which is wonderful. Yeah. Homestuck, man. When are we going to do a Homestuck episode? Uh, when I am on holiday. When, when Freya's on holiday. That's right. I was going to say that if you want to do a Homestuck episode where you guys try and explain <laughs> it to me. We could do we that. Do that. I, I think that would be amusing, it. good fun. I, I, I did not finish the last act because I lost patience when they were doing the video game stuff. Oh, maybe I didn't yeah. finish it. Listen, there's a there's lot a of lot. it. There's you a know lot. what? <laughs> Listen, darling listeners, have any of you read all of Homestuck? Tell us in the comments. Let, tell us in the comments or wherever. Yeah, we love you. Anyway, we we love you very much, and now we have to go be in our own portal fantasy, or perhaps return from this portal fantasy. Is this podcast our portal fantasy? <laughs> no, I'm sorry, this has officially gotten too messy. <laughs> Goodbye. 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 everybody thanks for joining us this episode of be the serpent a podcast of extremely extremely deep literary merit i think this episode might have some of my favorite professional tent poles we've covered so far i absolutely adored both alex harrow's and shauna mcguire's books and narnia for all its flaws was one of the seeds of my childhood love of fantasy portals talk to us about hope i think the hope that there's a place for us somewhere out there. And I think that that's the kind of hope we need in order to keep building a place for ourselves right where we are. But enough of that. For our next episode, two weeks hence on February 26th, we are talking about world building, specifically through bureaucracy and political process. If you'd like to prepare in advance, one of the tentpoles for that episode is Little Red Courgette by Blaine Brampton. So, if you know someone who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And, by the way... I think you'll be ready for it when the time comes and your door opens. I know that you're more than enough. <laughs>